Right, so that now brings us time to get to the Word of God. So as we get into the Word of God, shall we just uh, take a minute to thank God once again for this time? And pray that God will minister unto us. That what He has to say to us, we will be receptive. Father God, we just thank you for this time once again, Lord Father. Pray, Lord, that you will minister to each one of us, Lord Father. You will speak to our inner person, Lord Father. And Father God, we just commit this time, we commit ourselves into your hands. Make us and mold us, Lord, into the kinds of people you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You'll get a funny title. Some of you will know part of it. Doesn't matter. In 1957, a new term was introduced into the English dictionary. 1957. Okay, pretty old. New term was introduced into the English dictionary. It was Gigo. Spelt G-I-G-O. Pronounced Gigo. Okay. Now, a lot of you will know what this is about. Do you know what it is? What's it? Well, it simply meant garbage in, garbage out. Okay? It was an abbreviation for garbage in, garbage out. Guy go. If you defined it, this is what it stood for. When you input unintended, unverified, or even nonsensical data into a computer, it will produce undesired, untrue, dangerous, and even nonsensical results. That's what garbage in, garbage out actually means. Guy, go. Now, 47 years later, in the year 2004, the word guy, go was modified. It was no longer garbage in, garbage out. It became garbage in, gospel out. You know, surprising, isn't it? Garbage in, gospel out. Now, what did that mean? It's the term that is now used to describe a situation where someone, anyone, blindly accepts, trusts, believes computer-generated results without knowing for sure if the original data is correct, true, or even verified. Now, is that true? We switch on the computer, we put in something, it gives us some information, do we question it? We take it. That's what garbage in, gospel out has become. You see, we don't know the truth of the information that might be there. We haven't verified it. We don't look at the resources. We don't look at the levels of checking that is done. A few years back, I was talking to a person while that person was working on a computer and the Wikipedia page was open. And Wikipedia actually at that time allowed you to input data. Now, I don't know whether it does it now, okay? And this person was trying to do something. So I said, what are you doing? Uh, and that person was putting in some stuff. And I said, but that stuff is wrong. What you're putting in is wrong. So this person tells me, yes, I know. I said, what do you mean you know? So this person tells me, I'm just having fun. I said, but what you put in is going to get recorded there. So this person tells me, yes, I know. That's the fun. So I, I kept quiet. I didn't know what to say. The next day, I went back to that same page. The Wikipedia, once again, picked up that same matter, and I find that the matter inputted yesterday has come back over there. Of course, there is a citation which says, unverified data. But it's there. Now, how often when we see something on the computers and we see unverified data, do we still accept it? We don't check it. This is today's Geigo. Garbage in, gospel out. Whatever the computer tells us, 
is right. Irrespective of whether it is actually right or it isn't. Okay, so that was in 2004. Today, 2016, 12 years after that first modification, on behalf of the Bread of Life Fellowship, I propose that we give it a second modification. I propose we expand Gaigo as God's word in, good news out. So will you turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8. We'll read verses 1 to 9. I'll then go and read a few more things, a few more verses. Chapter 8, starting at verse 1. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him at his right hand, stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Urijah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And at his left, Pedaya, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Sherbatai, Hodijah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Pilayah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. I'm moving on to verses 13 and 14. Now on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And finally, we'll move on to 17 to 18. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until the day the children of Israel had not done so. And there was there was very great gladness. Also, day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly, according to the prescribed manner. Now, from these verses, what are our immediate take-home messages for today? I'm just going to mention them. I'm not going to elaborate on them. There's a few other things that we need to do today. Number one, the word of God was read in the assembly of God's people. Verse 2 tells us that. There was no shame in reading the words of God. Today, there are many places, including churches, where the word of God is not read. Maybe parts of the word of God are taken to elaborate on and to bring a particular point 
but the word of God is not read. Here it says in verse 2, the word of God was read in the assembly of God's people. Do you take time to read the word of God? All men here are priests. You have an assembly in your homes. Your wife, your children. Do you take time to read the word of God to your assembly? Number two. The word of God was read for a continuous and lengthy period of time. That's what verse 3 tells us. They read it from morning until midday. It was not a two-minute reading of the Word of God. It was not reading a small passage between your morning bathing time and your breakfast time before you rushed off to work. It was a substantial period of time that was used for reading the Word of God. Number three, the Word of God was read to people who were attentive to it. Verse 3. Verse 3 ends by saying, All the people were attentive to the book of the law. Reading the Word of God was not boring. Irrespective of which version was being used. People were attentive People were not of the opinion. Go ahead and say what you have to say. Read what you have to read. I will read it later. No. People were attentive. Because there weren't many copies, of course, of the Word of God at that point of time. Because they were attentive to the reading of the Word of God. Number four. The Word of God was highly respected. Verse 5 tells us that people stood up during its reading. They didn't sit down. They didn't lie down. They were not reclining on chairs. They stood up. It was the word of God. If your boss was to enter into your office, wouldn't you stand up when he talks to you? I stand up when my head of department enters into my office. And if I enter into her office, I don't sit down unless I am asked to sit down. This is God speaking to you and to me. You see, and the people in the past had more wisdom than you and me. Because they stood up when the word of God was being read. It is God speaking. It's not words, it's not just ABCD put together, scrambled up together to, or unscrambled to give you something. It's God speaking. They stood up. Number five. The word of God was read with understanding. Okay, it says there in various verses, including verse eight. It says the word of God was read with understanding. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. And they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Often when we read genealogies, we skip it. So and so beget, so and so and so and so and so beget, so and so beget, so and so. You're gone. We go off to sleep. Forget that passage. Somebody beget somebody, it ends with somebody begetting somebody else. Okay, I'll come to the last guy and then continue from there. You never know what you're missing in between. If God has put it into his word, there has to be a reason for that. It's not because God was trying to fill up space. So they read with understanding. They read with understanding. How often do we do that? Number six, in verse nine it tells us, the word of God touched the lives of people. Towards the end it says, do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. It touched them. They knew that they had done something which was not right. 
How often, on a day-to-day basis, do we do things which are not right? And yet, when the Word of God tells us that, we argue that point. We justify our statement. We say, this generation, this is the way we need to do it. I am in the 21st century. It doesn't matter whether we are in the 21st century, 25th century, or any century. The Word of God applies equally to every one of us. And when God tells us, it's got to touch us. It's got to have some sense of meaning to me. I've got to be touched by the Word of God. Okay, the Word of God touched the lives of people. Number seven, the Word of God gave instructions to people. Verse 14. In verse 14 it says, And they found written in the law. They didn't realize it till then. Because in verse 18, we, 17 we know that they didn't do it for a period of time. So in verse 14 they say, And they found written in the law that they should dwell in booths during that particular season. So there was instruction given to them in the word. What instruction is hidden in the word for you and for me today? Is there something that God has already put in there specific for now? For you and for me. And we are not getting it because we are not opening the word of God. Okay. The word of God gave instruction to the people. Verse 14. And finally, verse eight, uh, sorry, verse 17, point number 8. The word of God brought gladness, gladness to those who were obedient to it. Verse 17. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths. They sat under the booths. And since the days of Joshua, for since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. And there, and there was very great gladness because they obeyed the Lord. They suddenly realized, God said, this is what we should be doing. Let's do it. They did it. And there was very great gladness. A few weeks ago, I was reading about the early settlers into the United States. The so-called Pilgrim Fathers. Now, these were extremely religious men and women who left their native lands in Europe and traveled across the seas looking for a new home, looking for freedom from religious persecution, and looking for personal prosperity. Now, one of the principles that the early settlers to the U.S. gave while declaring the new land as their new home was that there needs to be a constant personal meditation on the scriptures. The statement they made was this, and this is embossed in different areas, in different monuments in the U.S. The believer must set aside healthy, generous portions of time for personal devotions, prayer, and Bible meditation. This is what the founding fathers of the United States laid down. I mean, we can argue, is that, what is, is that what is happening right now? That's a different issue. But this was the foundation on which they started off. Okay, and they said, the believer must set aside healthy, generous portions of time for personal devotion, prayer, and Bible meditation. The question that immediately comes to mind is this. How much is generous portion of time? It's a very subjective statement. How much is generous portion of time? Let's go back to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9, and read verses 2 and 3. Then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. And for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. One-fourth of the day was spent in reading the word of God. Now, even if you consider that the Jewish day at that period of time, approximately 400 BC, was from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., they didn't consider the night as part of the day, it would still mean 
that you needed three hours every day to read the Word of God. How many of us? Today, we don't consider the day 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Because we work 24 hours. Therefore, our day is 24 hours. So, one-fourth of 24, by the little mathematical knowledge I have, is 6 hours. Do we spend 6 hours reading, studying, analyzing, going into the depths of the Word of God? I have a confession, I don't. I'm not trying to say that I am holier than thou. I don't. Acknowledge. I'm learning. I read this this week. Do we? Six hours. Some of us barely six minutes. We have much more time for other things. Just think about this. Just think about it for a minute. Yesterday, how much time did you spend reading the Word of God? Don't look at me. I'm not telling you how much I spent. How much time did you spend reading the Word of God? I'm not talking about the time you spent praying. I'm not talking about the time you spent, you spent singing. I'm not talking about the time that you spent in front of the television, computer screen, or on your uh, smartphones, listening to podcasts or televangelists. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the one and a half hours that many of you might have spent in our corporate intercession yesterday. I'm not talking about the hours that many of you have spent, spent sending evangelical messages to each other. And I am not talking about the hours of time spent receiving these evangelizing messages. I am only asking you a very straightforward, simple statement. If you don't understand my question, you can stop me. How much time did you give yesterday to the reading, to personal reading of the Word of God without being disturbed by anything, anybody? You need to think about that. I've been thinking about it for the last couple of days. And I know where I have to make my changes. I know where I have to make my corrections because God is speaking to me. And if he's speaking to somebody, you need to make corrections. Your prosperity is dependent on how you keep the law of the Lord. Deuteronomy 29 verse 9 says this, and this is what Moses writes. Therefore, Keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. Keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. So if you need to know what is there in that covenant, you've got to read it. You've got to spend time Trying to understand. Because you need to read with understanding. That's important in scriptures. It's not just reading. I used to be proud of the fact that before I was 20 years old, I had read the Bible, King James Version, cover to cover, twice, without understanding 99% of what I read. I read Gen I understood Genesis 1 1. 
Beyond that, I'm not too sure what else I understood. But because my Sunday school teachers had said, we should read the Bible completely. I was very obedient to them. I read the Bible twice before I was 20 years old. And there's a lot that I never understood. So when we read the scriptures, we need to read with understanding. Keep the words of this covenant and do them. How will you do something if you don't understand it? You understand it, you do it. That you may prosper in all that you do. That's the word of God, it's not my words. Jeremiah put this more forcefully in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. And I will quote the New Living Translation for this. He says, When I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God of heaven's armies. You see how he puts that? When I discovered your words, I devoured them. I ate them. I completely swallowed them up. You see, the problem that you find very often today, many people, all of us included, simply do not want to search the Word of God for answers to our difficulties. We either want to solve it my way, because I think I know best, so I want to solve it my way, or I look to people who will give me the solution of the world. How did somebody else solve the problem? I look for worldly solutions. Because remember I told you some time back that things in the world are better packaged. Scriptural things are not packaged very well. And so when I have a problem, if I can't do it my way, I look to the world's way. But I need to look at it God's way. God's given me the instruction manual. He said, everything that you need is in here. You don't need to go searching everywhere else. It's right here. But I don't. Very often that's my problem. I don't bother searching the word of God. And that's, I think, true for all of us. A lot of us. Maybe some of us are different, okay? But to a lot of us, that's the issue. Job writing in the book of Job, chapter 23, verses 10 to 12, says this, But he knows where I am going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. For I have stayed on God's paths. I have followed his ways and not turned aside. I have not departed from his commands but have treasured his words more than daily food. This is what Job said. And we know that the latter part of Job's life was doubly blessed compared to his former part. If he, he turned to God, he knew that in God was his solution. In God's words were his solution, were the answers that he was looking for. I wonder how many of us actually treasure his words. How many of us are prepared to search his word, chew on it, digest it, assimilate it, and then act on it for our lives? We very often are more interested in prepackaged instant food, and therefore we are more interested in prepackaged instant words without understanding the context without understanding that that is a very superficial statement that has been made over there and we think of it as a very deep statement but there is much more when we go and read because there is an if there is a therefore there is something else which goes along with that word and if you want to find out what that if stands for or if you want to know what that therefore is indicative of, you have to get into the word and go deep. Because that's the only way you can do it. David Saxton, 
a pastor in New Jersey, puts it this way, and again I quote him, Though God's people should delight in the study of God's word, the modern high-tech person and even the modern high-tech church has almost completely forgotten this hidden jewel of spiritual strengthening. Okay, it is hidden in the word of God. We have forgotten it. We have forgotten how to dig deep. In Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, we read the word hold fast. It comes four times. In chapter 2 it comes in verse 13 and verse 25. In chapter th uh, 3 it comes in verse 3 and in verse 11. It says hold fast. The Greek from which this word hold fast has been translated actually expresses a much deeper meaning. It means, keep the word of God, obey the word of God, consciously let the word of God be the center of your life. That has been abridged into English, hold fast. You see how inadequate English is? It's a universal inadequate language. Okay, look at the Greek. Hold fast actually expresses the words keeping the word of God, obeying the word of God, consciously letting the word of God be the center of your life. That's what it means to hold fast according to what is written in the book of Revelation. In Psalm 119, verse 105, the psalmist writes, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Joshua, in chapter 1, verse 8, says, the book of Joshua, This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. So the route to prosperity and success is not to chase after prosperity or success. The route to prosperity and success is simply dig deep into the word of God. You do that. Prosperity and success will chase you. And if that's what all of us want, we have the solution. 24 hours is more than enough. All we need is six hours for the word of God. And you will probably have to tell success and prosperity, wait, wait, wait. You're coming. I don't want that much. It's too much. You see, that's the, that's, that's the story. That's all we need to repair in the word of God. Clearly, men of old knew how to value God's word. They understood it. And I am sure that all of us here know how to value God's word. We know that it is infallible, because we say that. We know that it is everlasting. We also know that it has been given for our profit, for our correction, for our instruction, so that you and I may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We know this. All of us know this. So the question simply is, if we know, like David and Joshua, that the word of God is of such high value, why is it we do not spend time reading and understanding the word of God? Why are we so interested in doing things around the word of God, but we do not find time or motivation to spend time in the Word of God. The Apostle Paul, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, puts it like this. Do all things without complaining and disputing, 
that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Again, I had to try to identify what Paul was trying to say from the original Greek. And what Paul was simply trying to say when he said, holding fast, or in the NIV it says, hold firmly. What he actually meant was this, giving heed to, or fixing your attention upon. So when he says, hold fast to, he says, fix your attention upon. Paul is simply telling us, when he says hold fast to the word, he says explore the word, embrace the word, focus on the word with dedication and devotion. As I close, I want us to recollect a parable that we have heard so many times. It's in Luke chapter 8. We won't go through the parable. It's the parable of the sower. We often look at this parable in terms of evangelism. But when you get home today, read this parable with one different objective. What kind of soil are you? What kind of soil am I? Let us not say what kind of soil he is to whom I am going to share the word of God. Turn it around and say, what kind of soil am I? Are you the soil by the wayside who hears the word, even reads the word, and then lets the devil take it away from your heart? Are you the soil on the rock who receives the word, but still allows temptation to overpower you? Are you the soil among thorns who receives the word, but then finds pleasure in this world more attractive? Are you the soil on good ground where you receive the word? Allow it to take root and then bear fruit for the kingdom of God. That is something that each of us has to look at. What kind of soil am I? It's so easy for us to look at our neighbors, to look at our colleagues, to look at our relatives, to look at people of, in this land and say, he is that kind of a soil. His soil is probably better than yours. We need to look at our soil first before we look at somebody else's soil. Now I come to the part I liked best. When I wrote it, I loved this part. Okay, you know what? I'm going to give you some homework. I'm a teacher. You never conclude a lecture without giving a task. So, I'm going to give you some homework. Okay? You see, parents, I'll address the parents here, we love to force our children to do their homework. Am I right? Soon as they come back from school, what homework have you got? Math, science, English, French, history, geography, German, Arabic, I don't know what else. Everything. What homework have you got? Do it. Now it is your turn. Let me see how obedient you are when it comes to homework. And the next time I come up here, I will certainly ask for those answers. You see, the one book I have not chosen to quote from today, which has a lot of matter on the word, is the book of Proverbs. And I have not quoted it. Proverbs is full of verses regarding internalizing and utilizing the words of God. So your homework simply is this. Read the book of Proverbs completely and with understanding. Use multiple versions, if you wish, to help you understand better. And the next time I come up here, I'm going to give you a quiz. Now, when is that going to be? I don't know. I can't tell you that. Okay? All I can tell you is this. You have at least 31 days. 
before you see me back here again. Okay, and Proverbs has 31 chapters. So, it fits in very nicely. So the next time I'm here, quiz time. The story is simple. Be ready in season, out of season. Peter, in, the first, in his first book of Peter, chapter 3, verse 15, asks us, always be ready to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope and confident assurance that is within you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. This is Peter's encouraging words to us. Okay, be ready always to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope and confident assurance that is in you. If that's what you have, you've got to be able to defend it. You've got to be an apologetic for Christ. The message today is simple, and I'm closing right now. Spend time with the Word of God. Let God's Word in, into your life. Let the good news of the Gospel then come out. Remember, Guy Go. God's Word in, good news out. Let us pray. Shall we just take a minute to pray as we then prepare for the Lord's table? Ask God to give you a continuous and deep desire to study His Word at all times. Ask God to help you find answers to your problems from within His Word. Ask God to help you understand the roadmap He has written for your life. Gracious Father, we thank you for speaking to us through your servant. Father, it's a treasure in your word. Lord, you reminded us from the word. Study the word. Dig the word. Meditate the word. Understand the word. And obey your word. Obedience leads to sharing the gospel to others, O oh Father. You have been speaking to us from the beginning of this year, continually. Help us to love you, to obey you, and to share your word. Let your kingdom be established. In our days, through us, in this part of this world. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Now it's the time for us to go to the last table. I'll read a portion of the scripture from First Corinthians chapter 11 from 30 to 32. Or that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, Whoever eats the bread of, 
all drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the lost body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many are asleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Dear children of God, it is not a ritual, or it is not another first Friday that we will continue the Lord's table as a routine, or as the other churches do, or we do. Communion means coming unto the Lord in union. So we must be very careful in knowing and understanding it. So this is another way, it is a celebration. Celebrating for Lord's table, because this was prepared by him for us to come together. There are two elements before us. First thing we should know, the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. The cup represents the blood of Christ that was shed for our sins. The explanation concerning the Lord's table for us is two things. First, here Paul explains that we are showing or preaching as we heard or proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes back. Each one of us preaching our faith in the sacrificial death of our Lord Jesus Christ for our sins. When we talk about his crucifixion or his death, we have to, when we are, we should be reminded of the bread what we are taking or which was broken before or his body was broken before 2000 years ago. So when we preach the gospel, we are, we do mention about and our acceptance of Jesus died for our sins and his body was broken for us and we live because Jesus lived. Without that, there is no gospel. Secondly, Paul explains that we should not partake of these elements in an unworthy manner. We are all unworthy because we are all sinners. An unworthy manner is when we partake this communion without being saved. If we are not accepted Jesus Christ and taking part here, that is an unworthy manner. An unworthy manner is when we partake this communion with an unconfessed sin in us. If we, if we have any unconfessed sin in us, and with that we come and take it, that means we are unworthy man. We are taking it in an unworthy manner. Thirdly, an unworthy manner is when we partake the communion without paying attention to what we are doing. That is, it is not just routinely we read the scripture. We have to pay attention to God's word, which we read month after month concerning the Lord's table. You have to go and meditate it and understand what we mean it by breaking the bread on every first week of the month. Lastly, an unworthy manner is taking the bread and the cup very lightly. 
don't take it very simply just as others take we take it you should mean when you take the bread and wine thirdly the examination of the last table what to examine here two things once again confession verse 28 says sin is to be named and confessed to god it is not just i am sorry you should know what you mean to sorry why we are sorry for it so mean your sin and confess to the lord that is the confession second is about judgment 29 says god so if we take or we have to examine ourselves if we don't examine we condemn us we will chasten us and we examine ourselves we bring judgment to us we have to judge ourselves let us not allow god to judge you so that it will lead to condemnation so please pay attention to god's word understand what the communion means it it is for the children of god those who gave their life to the lord and confess their sin accept their christ as a lord and savior and they are free to come and take part and enjoy in this celebration of communion so dear children of god pray about it confess about your sin and you are encouraged to come and take part close our eyes gracious heavenly father once again we praise you and we thank you as you spoke to us in this way once again you are reminding us to preach the gospel about lord your the death the crucifixion of your son jesus christ yes lord we are encouraged and we are commanded to proclaim the gospel the death of your son jesus christ to this world today it is our privilege to celebrate the victory which you won on the cross before 2000 years ago because of our sins today we are set free in this world lord to live a life which will please you once again we pray for the bread and the wine which we kept before us o lord bless us sanctify us and give us o lord so that we will have a life to live for you in jesus most precious name we pray as we drink god we worship you as we
Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's be on our feet as we close. We have had today the impact that the Word of God has to offer in our lives. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 8. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and that brought understanding. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm going home with three basic things out of this service today. The first thing that God reveals himself by his word. Amen. God reveals himself by his word. First Samuel chapter 3 verse 27. God prevails over circumstances in our lives by his word. Acts chapter 19 verse 20. <laughs> and then the word of God is the source of our faith. Romans chapter 10 verse 17. And all things are possible to the man that has faith. Mark chapter 9 verse 23. So, you see, it's all about the word. The word. We have no future outside the word. So, you give yourself to the word, and then God gives himself to you. Now, clearly, the word of God is law. Amen? And nobody toys with the law. Ignorance of the law is not an excuse. The word of God is law. That is making new meaning to me today. So it's not something to be taken lightly. So if I were you, and I mean, I'm smart enough to know that I need grace to make the most of the law. So let's lift up our hands and say, Lord, this communion we have taken today, throughout this month, let it give us grace to study the word. Grace to study your word so that we can learn more of you, so that you can reveal yourself to us the more. So that circumstances of our lives can bow finally to your word. So that we can make the most of this month like we have never seen before. Lord, we receive your grace. By this communion today, we receive grace. We receive grace to make the most of your word. To make the most of your word. To make the most of your word. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name. Now, there is one humorous thing God said to me as I sat there. He said, when you eat the law, you become the law. What does that mean? He said, when you eat my word, the same way everything answers to me, everything answers to you. Amen? When you eat, the you know, Jeremiah 15, 16, we read it today. He said, thy words were found, and I did eat them. I like that version pastor quoted. I devoured them. Amen? The word of God is alive. Let me tell you what that means. It means every time you feed on it, just like living things grow, it begins to grow, and begins to grow, and begins to grow, until it outgrows your situation. And then the situation answers to you. This month, everything will bow to the word of God in your life. In the name of Jesus. Let's make that declaration. Lord, as I feast on your word this month, everything shall answer to me. As I eat the law, I shall become the law. Everything shall answer to me as I manifest, as I feast on your word. I shall manifest your word and everything shall answer to me like never before. Like never before, I become the law to every negative and contrary circumstance. By all this month, this year, I become the law. I become the law as I manifest, as I feast on your law, as I manifest your law. I become the law this year. Every situation shall answer to me. I shall have it the way I want it. Because I shall manifest your word. I shall feed on your word. And I shall manifest your word. 
and bring down your glory and bring down your glory and bring down your glory in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. This is going to be your best month ever. I didn't hear your amen. This is going to be your best month ever. In the name of Jesus. You know, God delights in feeding His people with the finest of the wheat. The finest. The very best. You will no longer eat the crumbs. In this old man, only the best is good for you. That's what you will eat this month. By reason of the word of God that you will feast on, you shall become the law in your office. You shall become the law in your office. They won't take any decision except they hear your whatever you have to say. Your advice shall be the best wherever you are found. Because it shall be godly counsel. Because it shall be holy counsel. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Pharaoh said to Joseph, by your word shall my people be ruled. Joseph was a foreigner in that land. Men and brethren, let's come alive. This land is waiting to be taken. By your word shall my people be ruled. And when Joseph hit thirty, he walked into the land and everything answered to him. This church is hitting thirty this year. As we go out, everything will answer to us. Everything answered to Jesus. And Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. And we have eaten his flesh and his blood today. Therefore, this month, go and make the most in the name of Jesus. Everywhere you turn, the word of the Lord shall prosper in your life. This month, no sickness in your family. No harassment of the enemy anywhere you go. It shall be affliction free for you. It shall be sorrow free for you. In the name of Jesus. It shall be a month of distinction, a month of enlargement, a month of expansion, a month of success, a month of prosperity. In the name of Jesus, it shall be a month of celebration. So shall it be. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name. Let's hear the grace in fellowship, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, God's goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the presence of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Evangelism and glory.